today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. All eyes were on Geneva yesterday for the uh, big meeting between U.S. President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin. They held their first summit since uh, Biden took office, of course, in January. But the takeaways from the meeting have led to a lot of questions, really, including whether the United States just gave its adversary a platform. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. The meeting was expected to last five hours or more. Instead, it lasted two hours, 38 minutes. I told President Putin my agenda is not against Russia. There was a laundry list of items to discuss, from human rights to military postures. On cybersecurity, Russia denied allegations. Rather, saying Canada and the UK harbor more cyber criminals but offered no evidence. There is a deal for strategic stability linked to arms and a return of ambassadors, but few other deliverables, allowing Russia to spin the event as one that puts it on an equal playing field, with Biden possibly left with little other than a wait and see. We agreed to work together. By an adversary who's repeatedly worked against American interests and offered no timeline for any areas of cooperation. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. So, were there winners and losers? Uh, let's uh, bring Elliot Tepper into the conversation. Elliot, of course, is Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University in Ottawa. Elliot, good to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well these days. Uh, thanks, Bill, and same to you. How low was the bar or how high was the bar set for this? I don't know that people had too many expectations of anything substantive coming out of this anyway, did they? That was the deliberate messaging sent, I think, by all sides prior to the meeting. The, uh, the U.S. president and, and Russia, to some degree, uh, both said, well, we don't really expect much, but it's a good idea to have a meeting. Uh, the Biden people were saying, there's no substitute for face-to-face meetings. Remember, he was coming off a whole series of prior summits where basically he reasserted the leadership of the U.S. in the world in terms of you know, the G7, the EU, and NATO, and then culminating it by sitting down with, with uh, Putin in Geneva saying, okay, I'm basically here representing everybody. Uh, all the democracies, and that includes Japan, remember, it isn't just the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, now let's talk. And uh, Russia was saying all along, uh, it was very fascinating watching Putin <laughs> kind of shrug and be nonchalant and calm and saying, well, yeah, if he wants to meet, I'll meet, basically. Uh, so they both set a very low uh, bar for what was coming out of this, but they both clearly did want this meeting. There are some suggestions now, too, Elliot, that, uh, that Putin won just because of the fact that the meeting took place. Uh, and, and we can get into that discussion. I think it's a very important discussion about just how powerful Russia is these days. I mean, as a nuclear power, uh, they need to be respected for, for that capability, certainly, and for their incursions into other parts of uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, they need to, there, there has to be some focus on this, too. But from an economic standpoint, I mean, Canada has a better GDP than Russia does right now. I mean, uh, it, uh, of all the G7 nations, well, back when it was the G8, Russia is the worst right now. Uh, are they are still a player on, and when it comes to global economics? Yes, well, the, the interesting thing about Russia is that, and, and Putin, and how Putin uses his position is that he basically has been saying, this is why it's, it's something of a, a victory for him to have this summit. He's basically been saying, you can wiggle and jiggle all you want, but you're never going to ignore us. I'm relevant and the world can't, can't uh, ignore us. The fact that they have a, a weak GDP, I think, has been um, overemphasized. The fact that they are not a major economic player, 
there's one way who said they're, they're really a gas station masquerading as a country because they're <laughs> relying only on... Well, that's their big export, isn't it? Yeah, and Yes, and that fluctuates in value, as you know, and they've not diversified, and they're not a, they're not a, a growing economy in the sectors where it counts. But uh, the fact is, he's willing to use what he's got in very bold and brazen ways. Uh, they are an advanced country in terms of the other aspects, certainly in terms of, of cyber capabilities, they will move their forces around. So I think emphasizing their weakness economically really is a way to, uh, to avoid the harsh reality that he will use power, and he will use it to Russia's advantage where and when he wants, and also to make the point, which this summit demonstrated, is that he can't be ignored. Russia can't be ignored. And they've made, I think, every effort to try to do that. I mean, during the presidential campaign, and even subsequent to that over the last uh, six months or so as, as president, uh, Biden has made it pretty clear that the number one threat to it right now is China. Uh, and I think that was reinforced by the meeting at the G7 and, of course, NATO uh, this past week as well. Uh, is, is Putin just kind of jumping up and down and said, hey, I'm a player here too, and I'll show you? But the fact is they will show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, they have. They, they are... Uh quite brazen the the attacks on america which are attacks the intervention in the american election uh the cyber attacks that were have been made some of them ransomware they say by private <laughs> it was fascinating that the, the company behind the latest major ransomware attack uh, which emanated from russia actually put out a press release saying hey we're not into politics we're only in this for the money but nevertheless uh putin will use what he's got to pursue what he sees as as an insistence they can't be ignored and uh, to pursue Russian goals. They do now have a, a warm water port in, in Syria as a result of their massive intervention on behalf of the Syrian regime. All of, you know, war crimes have been committed there. Uh, and Russia has been very, very actively involved in the kind of behavior you do not accept in warfare. But... Uh, the fact that he will use his, his, what his resources is what keeps him relevant and therefore makes a summit like this uh, a really good idea. With the uh, changing in U.S. policy, the change in presidents for that matter too, and, and the emphasis that Biden seems to be putting on China right now, uh, can he afford to, to open a, a conflicting situation on two fronts here? I mean, is he really just trying to pacify Russia and Putin for now saying, yeah, we'll talk later uh, because we've got other issues here? I think his message was, there's a new sheriff in town. Uh, the the uh, vacuum that was created by the American President Trump, who said, I don't believe in international alliances. I don't want to be the policeman of the world. We only care about America first, which came out to be America only. We most certainly want to weaken those alliances. We, he doesn't care about the alliances uh, that were really primarily aimed at constraining Russian behavior, and now increasingly uh, will come to China, but also aiming at uh, China basically dealing with global threats. The whole purpose of this uh, meeting was to, t to tell the world, I've had a series of meetings, Biden said, I'm coming to you as representative of all those, and there's a new sheriff in town. You're not going to be able to exploit the vacuum that was created. There was an exploitable vacuum. I'm here to tell you that uh, this exploitable vacuum has been closed. There is no exploitable vacuum. The democracies are back, and here I am at the table. And here's a list of 16 of our uh, core uh, 
institutions in the U.S., so they were economic institutions, that if you attack any of these, you can expect a really strong counterattack from us. And then a very veiled threat. He was quite clever about it. He said, look, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want your oil pipelines, you know, your oil infrastructure uh, delivery systems attacked like happened to us with ransomware. Would you, would you? You understand why we're concerned, which is one way of saying you do this again, even if you weren't responsible, came out of Russia, you know, expect pushback. So he made a, I, I think uh, a couple positive things came out of the meeting. One was absolutely predictable. There's going to be the uh, ambassadors are going to come back. They're going to resume the kind of of meetings among officials on important uh, sectoral concerns of the two states. I'm, I'm uh, as you possibly recall from earlier conversations, I'm always very concerned about nuclear issues. Mm-hmm. The fraying of the constraints on, on uh, nuclear issues all around the world over the past number of years, the withdrawal of treaties uh, by the U.S. <laughs> as well as by Russia. Uh, the fact that we might not now at least get some process underway, not only to get a balance and stability, which is what they're putting it as between Russia and the U.S., that's how it's being phrased. But for me, let's get back to the kinds of arrangements that can lead at least at a minimum to the kinds of infrastructure needed in regard to nuclear and missile uh, delivery systems in the world. If, and there may be a comfort level there. Out, I'm, I'm, I'll take that from this meeting. Yeah, and there's a certain comfort level of this, historically anyway. I mean, you know, they, they're not going to agree on cyber attacks. Putin still maintains he has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Uh, you know, basically he's telling us, you know, stay out of the domestic affairs. You know, what happens with Navalny is our business. Uh, but there was a history here of, of arms control, uh, and, and, and negotiations that went on. And it goes all the way back to, you know, well, you name it, uh, all the Reagan government and before that as well. So they can say, okay, that's a starting point anyway. And we, we can agree that we can talk about that without, you know, getting in each other his face a lot of the other stuff here you're right it came out it was on the table there but uh you know denials and well going back and forth on that i, I kind of got the sense it's like those old uh, spaghetti westerns the italian westerns with clint eastwood you know they just focus the, the close up on the eye and then the other guy's eyes and then the other guy's eyes they, they they're there they understand that they have to talk but they don't like each other and they certainly are, are wary of each other yes the uh the message got delivered by biden the what the, the alliance system is in good shape, and we're here to tell you that uh, you'd better not mess with it or with us. I speak for the United Democratic Forces, and a new sheriff is in town. Let's get that clear, uh, and let's find ways where it's in our mutual interest to work together without any, uh, without any um, blinkers on. We, we don't expect a reset. We don't really expect you to change your fundamental nature, but there's going to be a cost. If you if you behave in certain kinds of behavior, so let's agree to get along on on these certain minimal levels, and let's move on. Let's let's get a dialogue going, which can carry on. And now Joe Biden said, now I can turn my attention back, as you alluded, to other issues in the world, and that's primarily China. Will Putin do what he did in the Obama administration, though? I mean, Obama used some pretty tough talk as well. Uh, that there will be repercussions and there's a price to pay for this. And, and Putin basically defied him. He thumbed his nose at him. The Crimea, Ukraine, things of this nature, basically said, yeah, show me. What are you going to do? Uh, is, is he, and if Biden was part of that administration, is, is there a concern here that, he, that Putin may just decide to try to flex his muscle again? There's no doubt he will. I mean, he will use his 
strategic assets, this is why I emphasize that people, I think, overestimate the weakness of Russia because of its economy. He will use those strategic assets in the way that he feels he wants to in order to continue to look good at home. Remember, he, uh, he's been in power a long time, and he's now facing real sincere opposition all across Russia to the degree that he's got to crack down not only on Navalny, but to outlaw the organization that Navalny represents. All across Russia, they were chanting it by thousands of people in the street, Putin is a thief, Putin is a thief. So that his own legitimacy at home uh, depends in part on, on convincing everybody how relevant he is and how much he will look after Russia's interest and how effective he is at doing so. And yes, he will use this summit as a way to, to show that at home. But there's I, let me stand back a little bit. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of the era we're now in is that you have Joe Biden very effectively saying, I, I'm recommitting America's muscle and its leadership, and only America can do this, to creating an alliance system around the world to deal with all kinds of threats, climate included, and, and pandemics and so forth, but playing against a very weakened hand at home. The U.S. is not in good shape. The best strength that the U.S. can portray against Russia and China and everyone else is to get its house in order. And right now, that's not looking uh, like a promising venture, although there's, he's making progress on that front. Russia at home, uh, because of that economic uh, aspect you pointed out, but also because of the increasing desire for the Ru by the Russian people to have you know, a normal government treating people normally, uh, this is an issue. China, on the other hand, has a greater grip on power and is delivering more for its people and looks at, from outside as if it's more stable. But I think this is a brittleness. Uh, China is strong. The government, the, the People's Republic of China and the Communist Party that dominates it looks very strong from the outside but and, and does look strong at home. But I think it's a a brittle strength that if it can't continue to deliver the goods at home, if Xi Jinping's hubris and his basically flouting of what it means to be uh, the holder of the mandate of heaven, that is, you, you have to deliver for your people, it's a reciprocal responsibility, then he too can be vulnerable. So I think, I think there's an underestimation of the internal and domestic factors in world affairs generally, and certainly I think that's the case of how strong Biden can be abroad when the Republicans are trying basically to gut him at home, and America has such profound problems. Russia is, is for the reasons you've alluded to and we've talked about, is a problem. And China, it's by no means assured that they have a straightforward, uncluttered path to global dominance. It's interesting, though, because of what's going on internally, politically, and, and as you say, economically, in both Russia and China, they need that international stage so they can go back to their people and say, I'm fighting for you here. Because uh, let's face it, I mean, you know, Putin's never going to lose an election and, and be doused as president. And Xi's never going to go that way. The oligarchs, the power, are the ones that put them there. They're the ones that will say it's time for you to go. And they'll, they'll make that decision. And if they start losing money, then Putin's in big trouble. I don't think he much cares about the people in, in Moscow or anyplace else that, you know, 
haven't got a job or anything else. He's, you know, he's going to be president, well, pretty much for life the way things are right now. But he has to please the people with money. And that means in the international stage, he's got to make deals. He's got to export gas to Germany. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, and he, then he says, okay, if you take me out, you lose that. And then we lose everything. Yes, but it's also a asymmetrical relationship. He's got the power right now, and he can dispense patronage or withhold it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is certainly the case in China. They can make or break uh, selected favored uh, individuals and industries, and we, we've just seen that uh, with the slapping down of the leader of Alibaba. So uh, I think the quote that Putin uh, took from Tolstoy was quite telling. In his press conference after the meeting, he said, quoting, there's no happiness in life, only a mirage of it on the horizon. That's Putin <laughs> quoting Tolstoy. So uh, this is, I don't know, the Russian fatalistic view of life, but also the Russian love of a strong man and all kinds of things wrapped up in that quote. <laughs> the, the, the Tolstoy quote is almost the antithesis of the, of, uh, you know, the audacity of hope. I mean, he's, he's at the other end of the spectrum there, isn't he? <laughs> yes, it is indeed. And, and uh, a lot has been made, I think, correctly, that Joe Biden, despite all the tragedies in his life, he's making a centerpiece of his presidency. Uh, and, and in effect, as Obama tried to do, that he's an optimistic guy, that he sees... He sees a brighter future ahead. He sees it at home, and he sees it now. After all these meetings, he sees it abroad. Well, it's as always with these meetings, uh, the fallout and the the real uh, impact is going to be held uh, weeks, if not months, down the road. Elliot, great to get your perspective. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Stay well, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Bill. Take care. Professor Emeritus Alan Tepper, of course, from uh, Carleton University. Always concerning about that. I mean, superpowers, when they get together like that, there, there are ripple effects to every economy and every other area about this. And Canada is going to be impacted by this, too, by those relations. I talked briefly about that, of course, about uh, the Arctic and uh, the, the resources, the natural resources up there, which and Putin and Russia are making some huge incursions into that, too. So there's a lot yet to be unpacked about this, and it's going to impact an awful lot of countries. The Bill Kelly Show. We- Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.